Is this thing on? Hey, has anyone seen Camp Director Chris? He mentioned going off to like write something, but that was like at least a week ago. Also, has anyone seen The Nurse? Hello and welcome to Bunk 237, a horror movie podcast. Um, it is the only horror movie podcast that I am one of the hosts of. I'm Robin. <laughs> and I'm yet the other only host. <laughs> Nailed it. And our guest today is Roger Ouellette, horror fan and political speechwriter. Hi, Roger. Hey, hey, how's it going? Good. We're what excited up? to have you on the podcast. I'm very excited that you're here because I know that you're a big Stephen King fan. And today we're talking about Misery. Yeah. The 19- yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, it was, came out in 1990. Good old 1990, which was 30 years ago. <laughs> That's fucked up. Crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> James Kahn plays famous author Paul Sheldon and Kathy Bates is Annie Wilkes his uh, number one fan slash uh, attempted murderers and torturer um, I love this movie for so many reasons <laughs> but uh, I want to know what you guys thought of it Roger I want to know how it fits in your like Stephen King universe yeah I know that you're a fan yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm a big Stephen King fan, and uh, I kind of came to this this one a bit later in my first readings, and then, um, but for for me, my history with with Misery, my initial introduction to it is like every Halloween AFI would do those. Um, uh, you know, like those yes. those like hundred thrills or hundred scariest moments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I remember as a kid watching that uh watching that and and seeing the hobbling scene and just being like oh absolutely not like never (laughs) (laughs) never never gonna watch this um and so i just uh, i i knew it as this you know this story that um where this incredibly violent thing uh happens and so i avoided it for so long and then um uh a couple years ago um a mark of how um cool my life is i started a book club with my mom and uh, <laughs> I love that. Song. Yeah, oh my. And uh, it's That's just really cool. it's just me and my mom. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to Linda. Um, and uh, we read this. We read this one together. And uh, I I just thought it was. Uh, it's just it's a great it's a great story. And then uh, and then when Rob Reiner took over to to make the film with William Golden and Goldman and. Just like a crazy cast of like the most oh, famous people in Hollywood. Crazy, not only a crazy cast of the most famous people in Hollywood, but my personal favorite people. Like <laughs> Rob Reiner and William Goldman have made my favorite movies of all time. Together, The Princess Bride, and then Rob Reiner, When Harry Met Sally, Spinal Tap. Like he is, he's everything. And then he and made Misery. Just, and then he made Misery, yeah. Which I think yeah. is incredible. Uh, I didn't watch this movie when it came out. Um, I was eight, for one. But uh, right. <laughs> like, even, like, I didn't see it until much, much later. And specifically, I saw it for the first time earlier, like, all the way through, earlier this year on an international flight. So I watched it, like, on this tiny screen 
uh, flying the way across it's meant the ocean. to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, it's how all movies should be. You seen. really get the full effect of yeah. that edited shot of Annie Wilkes looking down at you when yeah. you're on a plane. Yeah, yeah, and surrounded by people and kind of trapped. I think it's perfect. I think it's great, um, and I loved it. I thought it was so good, and I had always kind of meant to watch it, but somehow just sort of missed the boat on it. And I think there was also, it was so popular, I think, and in the sort of consciousness of um, throughout the 90s, it, I felt like I already knew what the movie was about, you know, from like parodies on SNL and all, you know, the, everyone knew about the hobbling scene. That was like, a, whether or not you saw the movie, whether or not you liked horror, if you were alive in the 90s and had a television, you were aware of this scene, um, even just by proxy and it was so I think maybe because of that is probably why I didn't necessarily seek it out as something to watch uh and but now coming across it uh is I love it I think it's everything I ever heard about it is true I think it's great yeah yeah Kathy Bates is incredible oh so good I think I saw so I went through a Stephen King phase I think toward the like end of middle school early high school and um I think I don't know Roger how your mom felt about it, but my mom <laughs> loves this this story so much. I don't think she's ever read the book, but she loves the movie. And I think when I was like going through this phase, I was reading The Shining, I was watching The Shining, I was reading Carrie, I was watching Carrie, and she was like, "Oh, you got to put Misery on the list." And so, and it was one of the shorter Stephen King books. <laughs> so I just I remember just like reading it and watching it and just being like, "Yep, that's you know." That's a classic. Yeah. An instant classic. Classic question. Now, I have not read the book, but both of you have. And also Roger's mother. Um, <laughs> Should I call Linda? We'll get her on. Yeah, I would. Please Seriously. have her call into the show. That would actually be pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, you know what? We'll get a postscript from her later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so having read the book and watched the movie, do you think the book is better? That's the thing that is always true about most most adaptations yeah i mean for i think for for me i i generally will will like the the book more than the movie but i think they're sort of their own independently brilliant i think the book what the book does is it focuses a lot more on at at some point paul determines that he's gonna like write the great american novel while he like he's challenging himself to to make misery returns like the the best thing and he's also they kind of amp up that he's he's uh is a former addict and he's struggling with uh addiction to to novel the the sort of fake um uh drug that they have in there um and it it talks it's it talks a lot more about that but i think the the movie just sort of like boils down all that sort of like you know that psychological horror that King does so well in his writing. It kind of boils it down to just the the true terror of being kind of trapped by this woman who is just so incredibly ill. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think too what um, is so good about Stephen King adaptations is that often, and I say often, but I'm only thinking about The Shining as well. They change things just enough <laughs> that it's surprising and terrifying in a whole new way if you've read the book before. Like, the movie has, like, a pretty fun comic relief in that <laughs> that yeah. Oh, Buster. 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 Buster and his, Bust- his long-suffering wife. <laughs> 
Buster, who is somehow the like amalgamation of Barney Fife and Sherlock Holmes in one. Yeah, when he was yeah. like, see that broken branch? Yeah, totally. <laughs> like he's the greatest detective alive. I love the the the, the little scene preceding that. Uh, when his wife is trying to like put her hand Get on his leg in the car, yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> and it is incredible that he like stops her and is like, "In this car, you're my deputy." <laughs> and it's like she's <laughs> the the general comic relief in the movie. I think throughout, like those little scenes. I think Paul's like sarcasm in the face of like terror is fantastic the way he continues to sort of like give annie a little bit of shit even though she's like physically torturing him and keeping him uh from his family uh and his life and has basically kidnapped him but the fact that he can still joke with her is like some kind of um stockholm syndrome almost a little bit that i really feel would be like how I would be if I got kidnapped. Like I'm too much to to not somehow joke about in a terrible situation. Yeah, and I and and to that point, like I think that also is something that ratchets up like the how terrifying this movie uh, is. He can get away with moments of patronizing her, or making fun, and she'll just be like, "Oh, you fooler!" And then there'll be other moments <laughs> when you, she's just being genuine, and then she launches into a tirade, and it's it's sort of it's that sort of unpredictability where you're just like, every time she every time she comes in the room, she's uh, like. You, you don't know what she's she's either gonna snort like a pig profess her undying love to paul uh, <laughs> right. or you know uh threaten to to light him on fire or the you know and then the hobblings <laughs> like you just never know every time she comes in the room you're just like okay all right here we go <laughs> let's see how- but it's like it's every time she comes in the room but it's also every time she leaves <laughs> Then she gets in the car, and you're like, you don't know when she's coming back. You yeah. have no idea no. how long she's got. And you're like, for God's sakes, do not leave the room. Like, and he's like, <laughs> you could come back with anything. And he's like diving off of the bed, and it's like, Paul, what's your plan? Yeah, you, like there's, <laughs> you're you not going know. anywhere. And I appreciate that um, as a horror movie and as a Stephen King horror movie, there, the big bad is not supernatural. It's just a woman. Who used to be a nurse? <laughs> and I'm, one of my questions is if this movie could be made today because she's so clearly like mentally ill, and it is not cool to blame, you know, to to depict mentally ill people as, as violent necessarily anymore. Yeah, and on top of that, when she reads that that misery, uh, the fictional misery has has died. Uh, and then she says, yeah, I wrote it down because I was just like, uh, uh, you dirty bird, how could you? I thought you were good, Paul, but you're not. You're just another lying dirty birdie. And I don't think I better be around you for a little while. That that last part is like, oh, my God. Like, she understands also how ill she is. And she herself doesn't know the extremes of what she's going to take she just knows that it's going it could get really bad and it comes back again when she's like i might put bullets in this gun <laughs> it's just i did think that if this movie came out now or sort of thinking about this movie in the framework of today um 
I didn't necessarily, I didn't think about whether or not it could be made or how, uh, or sort of its depiction of mental illness and mental health. Um, but I did think about how this movie is basically, or this movie predicted what Twitter would be. Because I think if you talk about like what celebrity culture is like on the internet and on Twitter, it is Annie Wilkes. Like this <laughs> obsessive, like the most the obsessive, loyal <laughs> fan who just follows every single thing you do, listens to every word you say, and also fucking hates you. And I think that that was such like this extreme fan is I think what we are seeing now on the internet. Yeah, the the the, the biggest stands. There was one line that she had uh, when Buster comes and asks her if she knows Paul Sheldon, and she says, I'm so proud of my Paul Sheldon collection. <laughs> and you're just like, because he, he's in the basement. <laughs> you, know what, you know what else like really terrified me about the, the visual of the, Paul, of, of the Paul Sheldon collection was that picture uh, with best wishes because uh, of Paul. And it just, it shows like that they've interacted in the past in some way in such a passive way like they don't explain it maybe she maybe she wrote a letter and he sent something maybe it was at a convention or a reading or something like that but you do, it's never explained you don't know and and it just get, on on one hand you're just like oh my god they've somehow interacted in the past in such an impersonal way and now they are interacting in the most personal way <laughs> possible i love that she's always been there you know uh she has always been that fan what what did you guys think of the backstory of her murderous nurse career (laughs) or like her uh like that reveal at the end because i think in the beginning it's just like oh she's just sort of a kooky lady um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's sort of like (laughs) (laughs) no okay that's too fair she's very kooky i should say in the beginning I think it. I think it ex- explains a lot. It does a great job of like giving some economy of story where, uh, you know, it's like the first thing is just like, oh, she killed her dad. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then somehow and then, it goes up from and, there. And then it just ratchets up from there. But I, I, that that reveal was great because it also explains like why she's so isolated like this, and and also it it shows that a lot of factors went into creating the monster of Annie Wilkes and you you kind of get this idea that um it's it's never really explained but you can you can tell from even these newspaper clippings that there are there were people in Annie's life and in her formative years that uh, betrayed her and so being betrayed or being fooled and stuff like that um, just automatically triggers um, a, a violent response from her uh, So at, at so many occasions during the movie. Um, and I think, like, the reveal of those pages, like, really kind of uh, delivers on that, uh, on, on that, I think. Um, my, one of my favorite character scenes, and you, you brought this up, briefly roger was the snorting scene like which is very early on and it's like right um like she comes into the room she one introduces misery the pig excellent (laughs) did you notice in the credits (laughs) she's credited as misery the pig herself i did i looked up misery the pig in imdb just because i wanted to know (laughs) 
uh, any other credits? No, that's her one and only feature film. And I think she crushed it. One and done. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to. She's a cute pig. Yeah, right? I think she knew this was her opus and she was done. And she's gone back to civilian life. Um, But that scene, there is the dialogue in that specific scene, like, killed me when she says, when she asked Paul, like, what's that ceiling that Dago painted? And he's like, nervously, (laughs) like, the Sistine Chapel. (laughs) And then she goes, yeah, that and Misery's Child. Those are the only two (laughs) divine things in this world. And then she starts snorting (laughs) and leaves. (laughs) And when I watched that uh, for this rewatch, the first thing that came up in my mind was a Maya Angelou quote, (laughs) the one that's like, (laughs) when people show you who they are, like, believe Believe them. them. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like... I often thought of Maya Angelou while watching this. (laughs) (laughs) I think the director made really smart choices in when to pan away and when not to. Really, they show the car crash, but they don't show like the crumpled bodies. You know, they show him like wincing in pain on the bed, but they don't. And they kind of show everything like afterward until they get to the hobbling, and when the camera doesn't pan away, <laughs> doesn't move. Oh, and no. just like when that foot bends, that, yep. is like that shot in, is my, in my brain. Throat. Yeah, yeah. It just like the sound, the shot, her face, and just. Like, and the, the perspective of the camera where you're essentially like his view of his own feet and this happening is so good. It's so good. And this we, is why I love horror. <laughs> let, let, let me see this. Bring, give it to me. We gotta, we gotta talk about the hobbling because mm-hmm. it is quite different in the book. Oh, yeah. What happens yeah. in the book? Do you, you, you want to take this one? <laughs> So in the well in the book the hobble uh, it's it's been a while since I've read it but the the big difference is in the book the hobbling uh, is not a ho- it's not a hobbling at all it's a it's a clean cut with an axe Annie completely cuts off his leg uh, below. I did the, not know that you bu- were gonna say leg. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's I was, pa- pause for dramatic <laughs> effect. I was running through a lot of different things in my brain. Uh, and then you said leg. Okay. Yeah, it cu- cut cuts off his cuts off his leg, and then immediately like takes a, what is it a blowtorch, and cauterize oh, yeah, and cauterizes, so. cauterizes the the it. stump, um, and then and then later on he also loses a loses a thumb. Uh, yeah, and there is a scene where she says she considered cutting off his man gland. Yes, that's right. Just some real, <laughs> some real classic Stephen King. Oh, God, he's this man gland him. is a very Annie fun Wilson's way to say that <laughs> vocabulary. Like, where did that come from? It is simultaneously the Stephen Kingiest <laughs> Stephen King <laughs> shit of all time, and also like completely random because <laughs> it almost uh, does sort of sound like something like a child would say yeah. right uh, i like mean a 12 I, year old or something yeah i i mean I, I love him to death but stephen king is like notoriously known for like anytime he writes about like sex or human anatomy it it, it just becomes infantile and you're like have you have you ever had sex like <laughs> <laughs> 
Did what was more horrifying than the hobbling? Like what would be more horrifying? The hop like a a hobbling or getting your foot cut off and then cauterized. Well, it's interesting cuz William Goldman really wanted to keep the the slicing off of the foot in the movie. And I think Kathy Bates was on board to do it. Like like everyone was really excited about it. And then the first director that they got was like I will not be doing that. <laughs> And, and eventually exited the project because they could not come to a, a consensus about the hobbling scene. Wow. And then eventually Rob Reiner um, and, you know, some other people said, you know what, we're not going to do it. And William Goldman, I think this is in one of William Goldman's books about all the screenplays he's written, um, said... Uh, through a huge fit because he wanted to keep the scene. He was so pissed. He thought they'd ruin the movie. And then the second he saw the scene the way it is, he's like, nope, they were right. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say the visual of getting your foot bashed with a sledgehammer seems so much more torturous than just getting it cut off. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, and <laughs> it's 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 such a like different type of terror because it's just like once the foot's gone, it's gone. He's gonna pass out, and it's just and right. and this is just like extent and just the visual of the yeah. the, the foot the is just ugh, it's, broken it's just, bones and the yeah. sort of floppy foot. Yeah. I'm sorry, they, <laughs> it's like they it is, oh, as someone who has repeatedly sprained her ankles, <laughs> that is like the worst yeah. image. <laughs> They 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 made some choices to to de-escalate some of the more violent stuff that happens uh, in the book, which I which I think works. There is an insane moment um, in the book where Buster, spoiler alert, Buster is not in the book. Are <laughs> uh, tra- yeah, in yeah, of, of several, several law enforcement. He's not in the book. He's like yeah, he's an amalgamation of several like law enforcement characters. But um, mm. in the book, there's a. Um, <laughs> Uh, finally there's like there's kind of like a buster like character that's like roaming around and uh, Annie ends up <laughs> running him over with a lawnmower <laughs> and that's how he <laughs> that's how the hope uh, dies for Paul once again um, in that narrative and I guess they I was reading I guess they filmed it but they just like they took yeah oh, really? they took it they took it out um because uh, I saw that, like Kathy Bates did an interview where she was like kind of sad that that scene didn't make it in. But I think <laughs> I, it, it's so. It, I think it, it works yeah. the way it is, right? I think, I it, think has, it works the way it is. Yeah, yeah, I think it has just the right amount of balance of violence and gore and suspense. Because I think where this movie really lives is in that suspense. Like Robin, you were saying, of we have no idea what Annie Wilkes is doing at any time, but right. it always seems a little scary. <laughs> right, and I think it it's definitely squares more with her version of the character in the movie, and it's also like the the gore is not the horror here. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, yeah. it's her and her her brain. And, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and what she's capable of. And I think that if that stuff was left in, not only would it have seemed over the top. But it wouldn't have aged well, yeah. probably, probably in terms of yeah, what it looked and, like. Yeah, and you know? I think it's also like a, a testament to like Rob, to Rob Reiner's direction in that, like you don't realize that we're a half hour into the movie before Paul Sheldon sees the outside of his room, and the fact that you're so stressed out that entire time um, with him just laying in a bed, it's like a real testament to 
to those actors and to into into his direction. The first thing you see when they open the movie is the match and the cigarette. It's the first thing we see, and then and then ultimately that is Paul's salvation at the end of the uh, you know that's how he gets out, and it's just like I think there's just like little brilliant strokes of genius by by Rob Reiner that are. Uh, that really helped the story. Rob Reiner apparently watched a lot of Hitchcock to prepare for this mm-hmm. and was very influenced, which I think you can 100% see. You could absolutely see that. Absolutely. There are all those close-ups, those like extended close-ups where you're like, oh, this is <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Even on even the, um, the passing of time or showing the passing of time like through the winter and like as... Paul is getting weirdly more comfortable or just like used to being kidnapped. Um, and like physically recovering. Physically recovering. Stronger. Yeah. yeah. And it's like he goes through that winter, but then like like all the snow starts to melt and he starts to see that. And I did like the, that, that transition there when he is uh, still scheming in his brain, but he's also still trying to make the best of the situation and just trying to be also a writer. <laughs> like the indulgence of a writer who's like man i guess i gotta make this deadline yeah that montage of him writing away clickety clacking at the the typewriter i was like oh my god right (laughs) right i think that that was there was some like sick writerly brain of mine that was like Actually, I mean, having someone over me like that would probably get the best work out of me. Yeah, I mean, this this is something that I wanted to bring up. Like, uh, uh, all of us come from a a writing background and stuff like that. So as terrifying as the hoveling scene is, for me, equally, the scene where she makes him burn his book is also just, like, the most horrifying thing I can think of. Horrifying. I wrote all these notes, and I have this just one section just entitled Paul's Hopeless Hells, and it's just, like, these just small, (laughs) these, like, small moments when you, like, you just have, it's, Paul, Paul is us in 2020, right? It's just, like, every time he, like, you just get a little bit of hope. It's just yes. like, or you're scheming or something, or just like a little bit of hope. It just immediately gets taken away from you in the worst way. Just <laughs> dashed every day. So like, true. Right? Because like... It's the ultimate quarantine movie. <laughs> right? Because like on the one hand, he just got like 30 beautiful pages down that he'll like fucking... <laughs> just like the best writing of his life. But then he tries to drug his kidnapper, and that doesn't work, and she spills the wine. <laughs> and it's like... His face, too. That disappointment on his face when she spills, when she innocently spills the wine. Like, all of that work, and I could feel that, right? Can't you feel that, like, those days, however long it was, days and weeks of saving yeah. those little pills and just all just gone, and now you're stuck having and, this shitty dinner. <laughs> and I don't know if she... It is a question to me whether or not she sort of knew or not. And it also, I, I yeah, had another question kind of related to that, just like how much does Annie know what's going on? Because um, when you when he goes out, goes out of the room and he sees the phone, um, and the phone is a shell, it doesn't have any inner parts, and like... I think he calls her a crazy bitch or something like that. But it like it did bring up a question to mm-hmm. me is like, why would you have that out there if it weren't if it wasn't for bait? Like if if right. she she must have known he was going to like 
I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, do you think she, he, she knew that he was going to get out of there? Like, why have that phone out there if it's, if it's just a prop? That's a good. She's, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, this is, a, and and it brings up an interesting point because in the in the book, there's the scene where she she has threaded, she has threaded her memory book that's and right. she's threaded the doors, and. And she she suspects that he's been going out, and so she takes her human hair and puts it across the pages of her scrapbook and puts <laughs> it across doorways and stuff and comes back and sees that it's been snipped, like that it's been broken and knows that he's gone out. So in the book, she's 100% convinced that he's leaving. Um, and I... In my mind, I swore to God for ye- for until yesterday when I watched the movie that that was in the movie that that scene was in the movie. I pictured the threads in the movie, <laughs> like I I had that in my mind and it just wasn't there. <laughs> Instead, it was the the little penguin statue, which is also in the book, um, exists in the book, but he puts it back the wrong way and that's how she notices. So in the book, she very clearly knows that he's leaving or attempting to leave. In this one, it's not so. In the book, in the movie, it's not so clear, uh, you know, that she suspects him. She knows that he left once she finds the penguin statue. Then, do you in think that the wrong spot? But do you think that maybe then the phone prop is sort of a nod to that idea in the book? Because they didn't, they didn't really uh, bring that up as part of her character or her motivation in the movie. But knowing that, like taking that from the book they put in like a few clues to the fact that she might be that smart and might be that psychotic um in baiting him that way because I mean, you're right that there is no reason to have a fake phone within like yeah distance the of fake him. phone is in the is in the book too except she's she but, glued the, yeah the connection <laughs> yeah, the right. wall connection but is it do you or is it just is it just so that at the beginning her there's some legitimacy to her story that like the phone is out she's like she's trying like she's like of like that. being a normal person yeah yeah and her answers but she, are I think so quick too, she um she's mm-hmm. clearly isolated herself you know so she doesn't she doesn't want a phone she doesn't want any contact with the outside world maybe she ripped out the, the <laughs> insides one day because she got frustrated you yeah, know yeah. or maybe. She put it out there as bait. We don't, yeah, because I, I do I think know. a lot of her personality is putting up these airs, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I think we know that she knows that she's a little off. Like, she is aware that her brain works in a little bit of a different way than other people's. And I think that her life is a lot of, like, living in this fantasy world in her brain where she's the hero and not the villain. And... But also in the real world, having to uh, figure out how to navigate that for herself. So I think that like, there's probably things in her world that she does because she thinks that's what normal people do. Like they have phones, but she doesn't actually need a phone because she doesn't talk to anyone. Um, and I wonder if there's more of that too, where things that she does because, you know, like uh, I don't know, is having a I guess having a pig is probably a normal thing. <laughs> Just. <laughs> trying to think of other ways where she tries to fake being normal like buying the Dom Perignon is pretty funny thing (laughs) that she thinks that people do because she read that he did that at the you know for his books yeah it's it's so hard to like try to 
pin down Annie Wilkes, and I think that's why when people say like who's King's greatest character, you know, he's written you know hundreds of books and whatever. Um, and people always come back to Annie Wilkes because it's like you can't really figure out what her next move is going to be or why why she's doing it. And the only time that and what I noticed and it's done really well um, in the movie is the only times that she is incredibly direct and honest is when she is at her lowest of lows and she gives these monologues where she just sort of lays it on the table like when she's like we're gonna have to murder suicide and that's just how it's gotta be like (laughs) (laughs) right If you were in this scenario, if you were Annie Wilkes, who's your who's your Paul Sheldon? <laughs> <laughs> like, do you have somebody in media or anything like that that you'd be like, yeah, I can make that work? <laughs> that is very interesting because I'm like, I, there's a lot of writers that I like, but I yeah, don't I mean, know I'm any that I want to torch. Like, I need them to person. like finish. <laughs> a thing right seems like I a lot like of excuses there'd be a lot of people all right i will say this it seems like you have someone on yes yeah, it's, it's probably stephen king <laughs> i would say this for other for other fans of his work i would probably say george rr R. martin to get the last of the books we really need him to finish this series somehow i don't think that he would thrive (laughs) (laughs) he's had a hard enough time finishing the books (laughs) i'm thinking about writers i really like and if i like kidnap them to force them into writing something (laughs) what would i want them what would i want them to write you know (laughs) who do i want to kidnap anyone for legal reasons (laughs) uh maybe i could convince jk rowling to to rewrite everything (laughs) Make her, <laughs> make her not racist and not transphobic. Yeah. <laughs> I love the and idea of maybe, making a successful maybe she would understand author eventually. Re- rewrite things. Kind of going on the writing thing, like the most re- one of the most relatable parts was when he sits in front of a blank page and just types <laughs> fuck like sometimes. it was just like i'm like yep. i i wrote a note i was like this is every writer's first page like the blank you know the blank page is like the scariest part where you're just like yeah like i couldn't tell if it was like the like him writing like fuck 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 was because he was trapped or because he was sitting right. on page I one. I think it was both, <laughs> right? right? I think it was both. I think it's like because I, I think in that moment it's the it's the longest time until the deadline. Do you know what I mean? When you when you know like what whatever if your deadline's right. in forty eight hours, that's like hour forty eight. It's also like on one hand a horrible situation that he's in but on another hand like he's a writer with nowhere to be <laughs> and a t- typewriter in front of him and all the time in the world you know that's like kind of an ideal situation yeah i mean going back to the sort of like the the metaphors uh that sort of hit you over the head um and i say that because he literally hits her over the head with the <laughs> the right? and also like when she comes down on it and, and her and it just it's like ding it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah got like i got and he uses his legs to trip her up it's just like why don't we take every like checkoff's gun that we like yeah. like yeah. and we create and then this he hits her with the misery <laughs> the right, right? Yeah. yeah no yeah that was the it was okay. she got killed yeah. by misery three times 
It was like the first time when Paul makes her eat the burnt manuscript. <laughs> yeah. All right. He's like eating or she's eating his words. We get it. And then the second time he bashes her with the typewriter and it dings because he got to the end of the line. We get it. And then he finally kills her by smashing her in the head with the statue of the pig, a callback to her actual pig named Misery. We get it. It's just the pinnacle of storytelling. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a, yeah, Rube, a Rube Goldberg machine of just symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Like she, like like the the penguin didn't come into play. So right. Misery was almost a very different movie. Um, there is a, a certain actress who turned down the role. William Goldman says that he wrote the part for Kathy Bates, but there was a certain actress who was offered it first <laughs> who turned yeah, it down. <laughs> it's crazy. This is like a, <laughs> and it is Bette Midler. <laughs> Ooh. I just had a whole yeah. flash of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but with like Bette also, Midler's face in, in place of Kathy Bates and a lot of more expressive yeah. You, you like, def. You definitely know that Bette Midler would have been like, I'm going to sing a Liberace song. (laughs) (laughs) But also, there's a a laundry list of actors who turned down the role of Paul Sheldon. And um, who else turned it down? When James Caan took it, he didn't even really enjoy himself in this movie. The short list is Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, William Hurt, and Warren Beatty. Wait, hold up. That's the short list. Yeah, it's literally every. (laughs) And you know what's. You know what's. Like you know what's really one. messed up about this is basically was because nobody, no man wanted to be that passive to a female character for an entire movie. Yep. Which is just like, uh. That's fascinating. <laughs> to Warren Beatty's credit, he was very into the project and wanted to do it, but then Dick Tracy got in the way. <laughs> and that's why he backed out. That's how it always happens. This actually leads into my first badge very well, which is the Dream Team badge, because <laughs> it's just like <laughs> all the best people in ha- it. It has su- the movie and all the people involved have such like an old school Hollywood feel to it. Even though it was the beginning of the '90s, it felt such like a just, Rob Reiner, William Goldman, <laughs> Kathy Bates, James Caan. Come on! <laughs> yeah, it feels like a like it's an insane. actor's Lauren actor. Lauren <laughs> It feels like an actor's actor kind of cast, right? Like very, very yeah. studied traditional actors in a horror movie, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and it's an Oscar-winning movie too. It's like, I, when was the last time a horror movie? I saw that won it was Oscar? the. First, uh, first time a woman won the Oscar for a horror movie. Probably one of the yeah. last. <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah, have there I been think. others? It's also the only Oscar that a Stephen King adaptation has ever won. Really? Wow. Oh, that's right, because like Shawshank went like over nine or something. Shawshank <laughs> went over seven. Uh, that sucks. That's, that's yeah. the only other one that was kind of in the running. <laughs> Um, to yeah, what bad? I have. I wanted to award to Annie Wilkes 
the Pizza Hut Book It Award <laughs> for her commitment to reading. Yes. Um, I have uh, I have two merit badges for Annie Wilkes. Um, one being um, best hobby for figurine collecting, <laughs> and then uh, um, nice. the uh, feats of strength merit badge because she <laughs> she hauls him out of that snow. Like just right yeah, on the back. Um, I also have an Annie Wilkes badge. It's the uh, Oogie Cockadoo <laughs> badge <laughs> for her superb uh, vocabulary. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just fucking crazy. <laughs> oh, when she when the book when the book's burning and she's just like, oh, cheapers. <laughs> I have a merit badge. Um, uh, for Buster's wife, it is the weirdest turn-on badge. <laughs> because, and then she, because, yeah. and also, like, I guess you could, like, call it the weirdest turn-on slash, like, horniest character badge because she doesn't have a lot of scene time, but but most of it is, like, like oh, we got to go find this missing person. Well, I'd rather be in the sack, like, over the sack. <laughs> You know, and then, and then the next time we see her, she's like, "What are you having an affair?" Like, "All right, lady, calm down." Like, There's not a lot of things to do in the mountains, Roger. <laughs> thank you, Roger. This was yeah, great. Thank you for your coping notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was fun. very insightful. It was great. It was great talk. Thank you so much for coming on. No, I, I, um, I. This was so much fun. And misery is just like. Such a I'm good so one uh, of of Stephen King, and I was like just so happy to to get the invite and talk about talk about this <laughs> crazy movie and book. <laughs> oh, Roger, is there uh, is there any way to get a hold of you on the internet? Say if w- anything you want. Um, someone was listening to any, it, and they were like, "I want to know more about this guy." What yeah. would you tell them? <laughs> any any online yeah. forum that you'll be publishing? My, my misery notes. <laughs> um, no, I, I I'll just uh, I don't necessarily have anything to plug, but I will say. I mean, if you want to find me, I'm on. I'm. You can find me on on Twitter. Um, but uh, uh, that's kind of where I hang out for. Uh, my political stuff that I do, but if there's one thing that I'll I'll sort of shout out is um, there's a couple organizations here in LA that are doing some uh, great work uh, during COVID times, especially among the uh, unhoused community, and that's uh, Ground Game LA and Street Watch LA. Um, and so I would uh, just tell people to uh, I wanted to plug that and tell people to sort of get involved. Um, uh, with those organizations, they're doing a lot of stuff with restorative justice and, and housing security and things like that um, during COVID times. Uh, so that's that's what I'll plug because I don't really have any. <laughs> I don't I don't have any well, uh, I don't have any manuscripts it. in the work quite right now. <laughs> I know awesome. a way to get that done real quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Bunk 237, a horror movie podcast, stars Yet Wen and Robin Zlotnick as the final girls of Bunk 237, and Chris Charpentier as camp director Chris. The show is produced by me, Shane Segrin. Our theme song is written and performed by Dan Zlotnick, and our outro music is written and performed by Talene Kali. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and it may be featured on an upcoming episode. Have a suggestion for a movie? Then follow us on Instagram at Bunk237Pod and Twitter at Bunk237. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are downloaded.